Psalm 133, right where I left it. Um, let's begin reading together, and we'll just read this whole psalm, just two or three verses here. In verse one, he said, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. You like the sound of that? I like the sound of that. Can we read it together? It's up here on the screen. Let's read this together. Ready? Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Unity. Now he goes on in verse two and three to describe what this is like. And I believe what you're actually seeing here is you're seeing it from God's perspective. You're going to see what God thinks and how he feels about brethren, family, that's us, dwelling together in unity. He said in verse two, it's like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. He said, it's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there, the Lord commanded the blessing. And what is the blessing? Life forevermore. So he's talking about unity. He's talking about the brethren, the family dwelling together in unity. How good it is, he said. How pleasant it is. And he goes right from that into talking about the anointing. And in connection to the anointing, he talks about the blessing. And not just the blessing, but the place of the blessing. The place where God himself commands the blessing. That should get your attention. God commands the blessing. I want God commanding the blessing on my life. Commanding it. When God starts commanding something, it's like there are no more options. It's not not going to happen. Why? God's commanding it and commanding the blessing. Again, what's all this in connection to? Unity. Unity, the anointing, the blessing, commanding life forevermore. And I believe what we're seeing here is a glimpse into how God perceives and sees you and I in unity together. And you just get a real quick impression. He likes it. He's really into it. <laughs> this is something he likes and he likes it a lot. And again, the psalmist said it like this, how good it is. And you know that, don't you? You know how good it is when you're getting along, don't you? You know how good it is, how pleasant it is when there's unity in the home, when there's unity in the family, how good it is, he said, how pleasant it is. And then he said, it's like that precious oil. Listen to some of the words he's using here to describe it. Good, pleasant, precious. Every one of these words, if you were to study them and look them up, but you don't have to, I'm about to tell you what they mean. They actually mean a variety of things, but one of the things you see is agreeable to the senses. Agreeable to the senses. The five physical senses. What? Sight and, and taste and 
touch and smell. And, I mean, all of the senses, it's, it's a, it, the, the scripture is saying is it's so good, it's so pleasant, it's so precious, you can feel it. I know God is spirit, but just because he's spirit doesn't mean he, he doesn't sense to some degree the way we do. He sees, he tastes, scripture talks to us about these things. There are things, and this is what I want to get into a little bit, that have an aroma to him. Don't turn there. Let me read something to you. This is pretty interesting to me. The psalmist talks about, of course, unity, but then again, he uses the connection to the anointing and specifically the anointing oil. And he talked about that oil starting at the head, running down to the beard, Aaron's beard, onto his garments, down to the edge of his garment. Man, when they anointed somebody back then, they anointed somebody back then. This was not a little dab on the forehead, which that might be fine. But the word anoint itself, it literally means to pour onto, to rub into, to smear all over. And you get that picture reading this, don't you? It started at Aaron's head. And there was so much of this stuff that got down, it ran down his face, to his beard, to his clothes, all the way down to the edge, the hem of his garment. He's dripping with this stuff. He is soaked in this stuff. But if you go back to the Old Testament, and I'm going to read this to you out of the book of Exodus, chapter 30, and this is where God, speaking to Moses, gives him, you ready for this? The recipe. He gives them the, the, the recipe for the oil. And you might think, well, it's oil, right? Just grab a can and start pouring. No, there's something specific about it. In Exodus chapter 30, let's put this on the screen for us to see, beginning in verse 22. I'm going to read this. You follow along. It, it says, moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses. So this is a word from God saying, also take for yourself quality spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh. Half as much, you ready for this? Sweet smelling cinnamon. Can somebody say sweet smelling? Sweet. Say it again, sweet smelling? Half as much sweet smelling cinnamon? 250 shekels, 250 shekels of sweet smelling cane? 500 shekels of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hen of olive oil. And you shall make from these a holy anointing oil. Look at this. An ointment compounded according to the art of the perfumer. Isn't this interesting? It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tabernacle. I want you to notice how much of this stuff they are pouring all over everything. With it, you're going to anoint the tabernacle. You're going to pour it on the tabernacle. You're going to rub it in. You're going to smear it uh, on the tabernacle of meeting, on the ark of the testimony, the, uh, the table, all its utensils and the laver and its base. 
and you shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them must be holy. And you're going to pour this stuff on Aaron and you're going to pour it all over his sons and consecrate them that they may minister to me as priests. Now I'm saying all this to draw your attention specifically to the recipe of this. How many times did he say it's going to be sweet smelling? You got cinnamon in there and you got myrrh and cane and not just a little bit of it. This is a lot. And he went on to tell them, he said, this is my recipe. And he said, you are not to use this recipe for anything else. God literally copyrighted this recipe, (laughs) trademarked it. And he said, it shall be made according to the art of the perfumer. Now, I don't know if they had cheesy perfume commercials back in these days, but can't you just see it? Anointing. (laughs) Moses is running shirtless through the desert and his hair's blowing in the wind. Anointing by Jehovah. It smells good. I said, it smells good. It's got a strong fragrance. And don't you know, they, had, they probably had a vat of this stuff. And God said, I want you to anoint this, and you anoint that, and you anoint him, and you anoint them. On that anointing day, I guarantee you, you could smell it for miles anointing by Jehovah. <laughs> Available exclusively at Macy's. But now can you get a a sense of what the psalmist was saying when he said how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity? It's like that precious oil. This is, he's talking about something that is actually favorable to the senses. Can I tell you what I believe he's saying? It smells so good. Now we don't think about our unity having a smell to it, but you got to see it and smell it from God's perspective. Our, our fellowship, our relationship, our unity, our togetherness smells so good to him. It's like that anointing oil. God's like, what is that? Is that, is that cinnamon? Is that cinnamon? That smells good. That smells good. Can you see that? But let me ask you this. If unity smells that good, what does that tell you about strife? It stinks. It stinks. It's an absolute stench in the nostrils of God. It stinks to him. And that's why my message this morning is called, what's that smell? (laughs) Write that down. I want you to go with me to the New Testament and look at some scripture here. Matthew chapter 12. What is that smell? Whether you know it or not, there is an aroma that fills your house. There's an aroma that fills this house. And when I ask the question, what is that smell? You need to be able to identify it and answer it. In Matthew chapter 12, Let's look at some of the words of Jesus. And I want to begin in verse 25. It says, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself 
will not stand. Listen to it again. Every kingdom, he said, every kingdom divided against itself, what's going to happen to it? It will be brought to desolation. And every city, every house that is divided against itself will not stand. You've heard this before. A house divided against itself cannot stand. It will not stand. Jesus, in just these two verses, has identified for us division happening on three different levels. The first level he talked about was the kingdom level. And a kingdom, he said, that has division in it, that is divided against itself, what's going to happen? What will be the result? Desolation, which literally means to lay waste to, utter destruction. Now bear in mind, this is not the result of an outside attack. This desolation is not because of a kingdom coming against this kingdom. This desolation is the result of the kingdom divided against itself, division within it. He, he gave us another level to look at. He went from kingdom level to city level, which is a smaller uh, circle, if you will. But the same principle applies. The same principle, the same thing that will completely destroy a kingdom will totally destroy a city. And what is that? Division. Again, not an attack from the outside, division from within. And then he took it down another level and he said a house. A house that is not, not one that's being attacked by another house. This is not a, a fight breaking out on your street, one house against another. This is from within the house. And the same thing that will lay waste to a kingdom will lay waste to a house. Let me say it to you like this. The same thing that is trying, the same spirit that is trying to lay waste to a kingdom, it's the same stuff working in a city. It's the same stuff working in the house. And Jesus identified three different levels that division works in, but it's all the same stuff. Now, why these three levels? Well, kingdom, talking about the, the leadership of a nation or a region, a country, the ruling, the royal party, if you will, there can be division there. And we as people within that kingdom, we have some authority. Let me say it again. We have some authority authority. When it comes to the kingdom of the United States of America, if you're a citizen here, a resident here, if this is your place, you have some authority. I hear like one or two yeses, a couple of nods. Listen, you have some authority. You do. You have some ability within that kingdom to, to do some things, to get some things done. Our authority within the kingdom realm extends to our prayer. And you ready for this? Our vote, our vote. We are very privileged. We are beyond blessed to live in a place that allows us some authority. Don't skip out on your authority. 
it's not just a privilege, it's a responsibility. Anybody know why I'm saying this to you right now? What's coming up Tuesday? Election day. Election day. Where you get to exercise some of that authority. This is a privilege. This is an honor. But I, I use these words advisedly. It's some authority. Yes, you do have the ability to pray. You do have the, the ability and, and the, the, the God-given right, the government-given right to vote, to make your voice heard. And there are other, other things we know. There's other ways to take a stand. And, and there may be even some from among us that, that find their place, as, their place in a position of power or in a political office. There, there are other ways to exercise that authority. But again, listen to me, our authority is some. How can I prove that to you? Have you ever prayed and or voted away that it didn't go? Yeah, you have. We have. We're seeing some of it, aren't we? So that shows us our authority has a limit. Now you come down a level from that and you get to that city level and you and I at that city level, we have more authority. We have more authority still to do some of the same things. We can pray, we can vote, and we need to be doing those things. We must be doing those things. But in addition to that, we may have, and I know that for a fact that we do have men and women in this congregation that are called into our local government that are running for office in these places. And you know what? I want you to know if that's you, your church supports you. We believe that that is a calling from God and we stand with you in that. And on top of that, our authority in this city, it goes even further. We're a church in this city. We own property here and we are quite literally a city on a hill. And I'm declaring in Jesus' name, that's exactly what this church is. We are a city on a hill. We are like a, a, a lighthouse sending out a light, shining all around this community, up and down this path, just in case there's anybody out there who's living a life, crashing up against the rocks. They can see this light and be drawn by it. We have more authority in this city. And we can be a place that people are drawn to. We can be a place filled with an atmosphere of faith and with love. We can put out a sound and a smell that literally draws people in. I was thinking back as a kid watching Looney Tunes on Saturday morning. And you remember they would have this periodically, somebody, some characters in the kitchen cooking something and they, they cook up a big Thanksgiving meal and it sits it on the table. And then what? The, the visual waft of that smell leaves the house and it goes out into the street. And then there's that other character somewhere else and the smell literally picks them up and, and draws them into the house. I'm telling you, what's that smell? We got to know what the smell is because we got to be drawing people into this place. They may not know, they may not say it coming in, what's that smell, but they'll be going, there's something different here. They'll be drawn to it. Thank you, Lord. So at the kingdom level, we have what? Some authority. At the city level, what do we have? More authority. You know where I'm headed with this. 
the further you go and the smaller the circle gets, that house level, guess what you have in your house? I heard it. All authority. Not some, not more, all. You have complete authority over what goes on in that house. And you know what you have in your house? Whatever you let in. You have in your house whatever you let in there. Why? Because you're the authority in that house. Now, our authority is limited at the other levels. That doesn't mean we don't act on it. That doesn't mean we don't take our authority. We better be praying. We better be voting. Right? We better be using our authority. But as much or more than any of that, we take authority at this level where he's given it to us in our houses. And what Jesus is identifying here is division getting in at every level. And what we've got to understand is that what's tearing the political system apart right now is the exact same stinking stuff that's tearing apart homes. It's not different. It's the same spirit. It's division, it's strife, and it stinks. It stinks. This is why most of us, a lot of us, have such a, and let me use this phrase if I can, a distaste in our mouths for the current political climate. Anybody else? Yeah. You don't like what you see. I don't like what I see. Well, what is it you're seeing? What is it you're tasting? What is it you're smelling? Strife. Strife running rampant. Division. Not an attack from the outside. See, everybody's got that on their minds right now. The, the nuclear capability is of this nation and, and, and the army of this other nation. And it's all so volatile. And what, what's going to happen if they attack us? You know what we should be thinking about is getting this division that's trying to eat us from the inside out, dealing with that and getting rid of it. Amen. Because what will lay waste to a kingdom is this strife, this division. What is division? Well, division. It literally means to separate into two groups. Is this happening? Separate into two groups. The, the, that prefix die, it, it means two. It means separated. And think about what happens when you put that with vision. What is strife the result of? Two visions. Two visions in the same house. That's going to produce strife. And that's what we have in our current political climate. And the reason it's getting more magnified, more amplified, is because the visions are more different than they've ever been. You've got one that is further that way than it's ever been, another further this way than it's ever been. But it's two visions. And you know what, church? To a certain extent, what can we do about that? We can pray, we can vote, we can stand, but God himself will not overrule the will of man. 
and you're not going to overrule somebody's will with your prayer. At the city level, what do we have? Well, a little more authority. Maybe a little greater access to get involved. Maybe, maybe our, your, your voice is a little more amplified, magnified. And, and here we have, like I said, this church, and we can be a stand for righteousness, and, and we can be a light, a city on a hill. But what I really want to get at is that house. Because in that atmosphere, we have total authority, and we can deal with strife. And we have the ability to keep it out of our homes. Amen. A house divided cannot stand. Jesus, he witnessed this when he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. What was that? God had a vision. Satan had a different one. Lucifer had a different vision. I will exalt myself. I will lift up my throne above the stars. How long did that vision last? Jesus said, I saw him fall like lightning. Means God dealt with it in a hurry, quickly. God's not about to put up with two opposing visions in the kingdom of heaven. Why? Why would he not tolerate that? Because a kingdom divided against itself is not going to stand, and God's kingdom's going to stand, which means he's not going to put up with another vision. I saw Satan fall like lightning. He's saying, I'm not putting up with another vision. Now, there's good news in this. You ready for some good news? A house divided against itself cannot stand, which ought to tell you this. A house undivided cannot fall. Amen. A house undivided, and I'm talking about your house, my house, and I'm definitely talking about this house, cannot fall if we're undivided. Um, I want to look at this as well. Some of these same words Jesus spoke in Mark chapter 3, in verses 24 and 25, he said, If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Listen to some of these other translations. The Good News translation says in verse 25, If a family divides itself into groups which fight each other, that family will fall apart. In the Weymouth New Testament, it said, if a family splits into parties, do you hear that word? If a family splits into parties, that family cannot continue. Now, these are all terms and terminology we're familiar with politically speaking. We are more split today into parties than we've ever been. Republican, Democrat, whatever. But can that same stuff go on? In a house? Not only can it, it is. It's happening. Families are splitting into parties. And it may not necessarily be the Republican Party or the Democratic Party, but you've got husband party, wife party, teenager party, and not that kind of party. You know what I'm talking about. Splitting into divisions, splitting into groups. What I'm trying to get you to see here is it's the same spirit. What you so distaste, what you, what you so dislike right now about what's, what you see happening every day on the news, coming out of Washington, D.C., coming out of all these political high places, that same spirit, listen to me, that same spirit is knocking on your front door. It's the same stuff. 
It's not different. And you might think, well, I would, I would never let that in. But yet it's happening. Families are splitting into parties, splitting into groups. And he said, if they're fighting one another, they're not going to stand. The Living Bible said it like this. A home filled with strife and division destroys itself. Now look at James chapter 3. This is a familiar scripture to you. And we could take a lot of time with this, read the verses around it, but I want to center in on what he said in James chapter 3, verse 16. Remember this, a house divided cannot stand, a house undivided cannot fall. Divided, divided what? Divided into parties, divided into groups. He said in James 3, 16, put this up there for us, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Now just leave that there for a minute. You might be more familiar with this out of the King James Bible, other translations that say where envy and strife, strife exists. Other translations say where envy and selfish ambition exist. Why translate it all these different ways? It's saying the same thing. Strife is self-seeking. Maybe I should say it like this. Strife is the result of self-seeking. Strife is the result of selfish ambition. And he said where, and this is what I did just in, in my thinking. I put in parentheses right after the word where. I put in parentheses ever. Wherever envy and strife exist, there's confusion there. And every evil thing are there. So whatever level there's envy and self-seeking, what do you find there? Confusion. You can, find, you can find every evil thing there. What if there's envy and strife at the kingdom level? What do you find at the kingdom level? Confusion and every evil work. Is anybody watching the same news I've been seeing? Would you say that, yeah, I think there's some envy and strife going on at the kingdom level? Absolutely. And what are we seeing as the result? Confusion like we've never seen it before. Questions that used to be the simplest to answer. Questions that you could ask a kindergartner and they could get right. There is so much confusion now. What's it the result of? Two visions. Envy, strife, and everything, every evil thing, you're seeing it at the kingdom level. What if there is envy and strife at the city level? Well, what are you going to see there? Confusion and every evil thing. What if there's envy and strife in the house? What's that house going to be full of? Confusion. Confusion. Church, I've got no time for confusion in my house. Neither do you. Confusion and every evil thing. I'm going to do something right now that I've never done before. I'm going to read something to you from... A book called Sparkling Gems. If you're not familiar with this, this is a devotional. It's about a 15-pound book written by a man named Pastor Rick Renner. Anybody familiar with Pastor Rick Renner? Can I tell you a secret? He's coming to preach here next year. No, shh, secret. February 12th. We're going to welcome Brother Rick. And I came across something in, in one of his books, just 
just a brilliant man of God, and I have learned so much from him, and I'm so thankful for his ministry. But I'm going to read some things he wrote concerning strife. Are you comfortable? Yes. It's story time with Pastor Jeremy. <laughs> just listen to this. He said, the devil knows that envy and strife destroy relationships and long-term friendships. He's aware that if he can create envy and strife between you and the ones you love, he can ruin those special relationships that God intended to be a blessing in your life. Do you have any relationships in your life right now that are under this kind of demonic assault? He said, the devil doesn't just target friendships with this type of assault. He also knows how to get in between you and your church family, a ministry you love and support or even the organization or place of business where you work. The enemy doesn't care whom he divides, he simply wants to divide. Since envy and strife are some of the tools he uses to do this, it's crucial that you understand how to recognize envy and strife and how to stand against them. In James 3.16, the Bible says where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. I want you to notice the word envy in this verse. It's taken from the Greek word zealous, and it denotes a fierce desire to promote one's own ideas and convictions to the exclusion, we might say canceling, of everyone else. This word zealous is where we get the word zealot, which describes a person who is so fixated, so obsessed, and so fanatical about his own cause that others perceive him as an extremist on the threshold of becoming militant. Have we seen any of this? In the case of James 3.16, this word presents a picture of a believer who is so obsessed, gripped, and preoccupied with his own view of things that he can't see or hear the view of anyone else. In fact, his militant perspective has made him lopsided in his thinking. He never takes a softer line, but holds out until the other parties admit defeat and agree with his point of view. He said this word envy in James 3.16 could be translated like this, for where there is a fierce desire to promote one's own ideas and convictions to the elimination of everyone else. That's what this word envy means. Now, he goes on here to talk about the word strife. He said the word strife is taken from the Greek word erethia. Listen to this. It was used by the ancient Greeks to stand for a political party. The word strife literally means political party. This Greek word is often translated as a party spirit because of its linkage to political systems and political parties. Therefore, in order for us to understand why James used this word, we gotta stop and think about the way political parties are formed, how they function. He said political parties are formed by a group of people who have similar views and values. After the party is formed, the participants develop a, a, a unified agenda. Once the agenda is decided on, they create a platform. From the platform, the people begin to push their agenda and ideas fighting fiercely to see that their party's platform is accepted and eventually put in the position of ruling and calling the shots. Now listen, he said, in the same way, some Christians, no, surely not. 
Brother Rick, say it ain't so. No, in the same way, some Christians become so clouded by their ambition to see their own views adopted that they have no tolerance for anyone who sees things differently than they do. And these people usually gravitate to the other believers who hold similar views. Hmm. He goes on and he says, when envy and strife have made it this far, the next step in this sequence of events becomes inevitable. James 3.16 continues, for where envying and strife is, what is their church? What's next? No, what did he say first? There is confusion. Confusion. Brother Rick says the word confusion is taken from the word akatastasia. Not bad, Jeremy. It was used in New Testament times to describe civil disobedience, disorder, and anarchy in a state, a city, or a government. By using this word, James explicitly tells us that when situations of strife and discord are allowed to persist, do you hear that? Allowed to persist. An atmosphere of anarchy sets in and begins to destroy the relationships once loved and cherished. Rational thinking is replaced by raw emotions and people end up getting hurt. Now he goes on in this verse, we know that where envy and strife is, there's confusion. And then what happens after the confusion? What happens after the anarchy? What happens after the civil disobedience and unrest and the rioting? There is every evil work. The word evil, he said, is from the word phallos, describing something that is terribly bad or exceedingly vile. We get the word foul from this Greek word. James is saying where envy and strife are permitted to operate, thus producing confusion and anarchy in relationships, they ultimately yield a foul-smelling situation. It's literally what it means. Foul. So he translates James 3.16 like this. For where there is a fierce desire to promote one's own ideas and convictions to the exclusion of everyone else's, it produces divisions so great that people end up taking sides and forming differing parties with conflicting agendas. This is a terrible event because it creates great unrest among people who should be united. Ultimately, the whole situation becomes a stinking mess. Unity smells good. What do you know about strife? Stinks. It stinks. Now, we may not have all authority at the kingdom level to get rid of strife. We can do our part, can't we, church? And we're going to do our part even before we leave this service today. You and I are going to pray together. And we're going to pray in faith. And we're going to exercise the authority that we do have. At the city level, we're going to step into that greater level of authority and continue to be a church, a city set on a hill. Continue to be that lighthouse that draws people in. Continue to create an atmosphere of faith and an atmosphere of love that is so inviting, that is so, it draws people into it that they meet Jesus and their lives are rescued and restored. But when it comes to your house, and when it comes to my house, and when it comes to this house, we have authority, and we have all authority to deal with this stinking stuff. 
and not allow it in our houses. No division, no strife, no anarchy, and no foul smell. I don't want my house filled with some evil odor. I don't want Jesus walking into my house going, oh, oh, what, what, what is that? I don't want it. You know, I hear sometimes real estate agents when they're getting ready to show a house, they'll get there before the prospective client and they'll spray chocolate chip cookie scent everywhere. That's what I want our church to smell like. I want first time guests to be walking in going, mmm, chocolate chip cookies. Close. It's love. It's love. There was a day that Jesus and his disciples were walking down the road. This is in Mark chapter nine. And Jesus turned around to them when they got to the house where they were going. Jesus said, Hey guys, what were you arguing about on the road? And you can tell from the next verses, they didn't even know he knew. It says they kept silent. So evidently it kind of paints this picture. Jesus is on up ahead a little bit and they're, I don't know how many paces behind him, but they're fussing with each other. They're disputing, they're arguing. And they're like, how did he know that? How did he know we were arguing? You want to know how he knew? I mean, I can't prove that to you, but we know that strife stinks and especially this kind of strife. He, they, they said to him, or really the scripture said they didn't want to tell him because they were arguing and disputing amongst themselves who would be the greatest. Who's going to have that political place of power? This is politics getting in the house. And I just want to say something to you, church. Be careful right now. There's a real awakening in the church and the body of Christ across America, and you can see it. More Christian people getting more involved in, in politics, and I, I believe to an extent that's a very good thing. But you're going to have to watch out. And no matter what you do in this life, you guard your heart. You are going to have to know when you've been feeding on it too much. You are going to have to know when it's time to shut off, dare I say it, Fox News. You're going to have to know when it's time to shut off CNN. And most of you are like, well, I did that six years ago. Fine. Good. <laughs> You're going to have to know when it's time to shut off social media. I went through this back in 2020 with that election. I was on Twitter on a daily, not just daily basis, a multi times a daily basis. And I wasn't posting. I wasn't encouraging. I wasn't preaching. I wasn't linking to messages. I was just scrolling, looking for a fight. Not for me to get in a fight with somebody. I wanted to watch other people fight. And I knew which people and personalities on the platform stirred the pot the most. I knew which ones poked the bear the hardest. And so I'd go look for him and I would just scroll the responses. You know what that's called? It's called being addicted to the drama and it's not guarding the heart. You want to know how political stuff gets into a house? This is one of the ways it happens. 
people feed night and day on what's going on in politics, what's going on in politics, what's going on in politics. I'm not telling you not to be involved. I think you should be. You should definitely pray. You should definitely vote, but you got to know your own heart. You got to listen to your own conscience. And when it's time to turn it off, turn it off. Don't let that spirit in the house. That same spirit that's tearing apart people in Washington, it is knocking on the front door. Don't open wide and say, come on in. Don't do that. Leave it on the outside. And you would have thought that these guys, Jesus guys would have learned their lesson. Mark chapter 10. That was Mark nine when he called them on fighting. Mark chapter 10. And you see this in Matthew, you see this in Luke, where two of his disciples come to him and say, um, Jesus, we want you to do whatever you ask for us. Now, if you have children, you know right away that when they come to you and say, I have a question, but I want you to promise to say yes before I ask, you know immediately, what's the answer? No. If there are pre-existing conditions to this question, I know it's wrong. You know it's wrong. And Jesus said, what do you want? And they said, grant that we might sit one on your left hand and one on your right in your kingdom. What are they looking for? Political power, a, a place politically. And Jesus said, can you drink the cup I'm about to drink? Can you be baptized with the baptism I'm about to be baptized with? And they looked at each other and were like, yeah, totally. <laughs> Absolutely. Cup sounds, yeah, I'm thirsty. You got the cup on you. I'll drink it right now. They have no idea what he's talking about. And he said, fine, you will drink the cup and you will be baptized with that baptism. But listen to this. He said, those places you're asking for aren't even mine to give. That place of power you're longing for, that's not mine to give. Wow. He said, that's for my father to give. And then he addressed with them what he wanted them to do. He said, whoever is among you that wants to be first, let him be the servant of all. And he started talking to them about the way the world does it. And man, we still see this in our world today. He said, you know this about the Gentiles, their rulers, their leaders, their benefactors, they all lord it over them. In other words, they all love power. They all love having a place. They all love having a title. They love it. You know what Jesus said? Not so among you. Well, you know what he's saying? Not in my house. Not in my house. It's not going to be that way in this house. If you want to be great, serve. See, he wasn't changing that desire. He wasn't telling them that they had some wrong desire for this place of influence and this place of power. We've got an inborn, God-given, God-born desire for greatness on the inside. The only thing he was changing is the way you get there. The thing he was changing is not through strife, not through selfish ambition, not through self-promotion. You get to that place by becoming a servant. This isn't what they wanted to hear. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that when the other 10 heard these two asking Jesus, that another fight broke out. This political strife starts at the kingdom, goes down to the next level, and works its way into the home. But guess what unity does? Like the oil being poured over the head. 
works its way down to the beard, all the way into the garment, down to the hem of the garment. It flows the exact same way. And so before we leave today, this is what I want to do. I want to give you three ways to keep strife out of the house. Can I just quickly give this to you? Musicians, you guys come on up. Three ways we're going to keep strife out of the house. I already gave you one. Serve. Serve. In James chapter 3, he described a wisdom that is demonic and, and devilish, but he also described a wisdom that's from above. And he said it's peaceable. And one of the things he said is that it's willing to yield. Willing to yield. Strife breaks out in a home when there are two opposing forces, both unwilling to yield. But the wisdom that's from above is willing to yield. Are you willing to yield? I was talking to a young couple, I don't know, some months ago, describing marriage to them. I said, it's a competition. A good marriage is a competition to see who can apologize first. To see who can yield the quickest. Not so many amens on that one. <laughs> a willingness to yield. A willingness to serve. It's hard to fight with somebody who's doing their hardest to serve you. It's hard to stay mad at somebody who's doing everything they can to be a blessing to you. you want to stop strife in the house? Seek to serve. Seek to serve. Let me give you another way real quickly here. How to stop strife in the house. Number one, uh, I guess serve was supposed to be number three. Let me work backwards a little bit. Here's one of the first ways you do it. You stop it before it starts. Proverbs chapter 17 verse 14 says, and then NIV says, starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. I learned this from Brother Keith. He said, imagine you're standing at the ground level, on, on the ground, at the base of a 150-foot dam. And on the other side of that dam is about a gajillion gallons of water. And you're standing there, and on your side, there's this tiny little leak. He said, what should you do? Pick at it? You should pick at it, right? You should just press it and press it again and pick at it again. Huh? You should just keep poking at it and poking at it and chipping away at it, right? That's what you should do? No. If you do, you are in the worst possible position because if that thing breaks, it's breaking on your head. So how do we stop strife? You stop it before it starts. He said it's like the breaching of a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. Let me give you one last little piece of advice here. How do we stop strife in our house? This is the way the Lord gave it to me. Turn down the volume. Turn down the volume. What do I mean by that? Proverbs 15.1 says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word 
stirs up anger. A soft answer does what? Turns away. Look the word up and it literally means turns down. A soft answer turns anger down. But what does a harsh answer do? What does a harsh word do? It turns it up. Anybody else interested in keeping this stinking stuff out of the house? Yeah. Turn the volume down. Turn the volume down on your voice, in your tone, in the way we're talking to each other. There's never a reason to lose it. There's never a reason to go flying off the handle in your house or in this one. Never a reason. Turn the volume down. Treat each other with some tenderness, some kindness, some respect. And I'm asking you that. I want to see you do it in your house, but as your pastors, we are telling you this is how we do things in this house. This is the way we talk to each other, even when there is a difference. Why? Because we're trying to create something here. Don't work against that. Work with it. Create an atmosphere a sweet smelling atmosphere. Go ahead. And here's the last scripture I'll give you. It's out of the book of Ephesians. Chapter five, verse one says, therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. There are things that smell so good to God. And there are things that stink to him. How good and how pleasant it is when the family dwells together in unity. Amen. Stand on your feet with me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817 577 you can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text Legacy in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.